0: Thanks for listening to the Vines podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you. The scripture reading is from Luke chapter four, verses fourteen through twenty-one. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Church family, good morning to you. I am excited about continuing in this sermon series that we're calling The Gospel Is. What we're doing in this series is we're looking at the different layers and the complexities of what we call the gospel. This phrase, the gospel, literally means good news. And I'm incredibly grateful that the good news about Jesus is not simple, it's not narrow or shallow, it's complex, it's beautiful, it's mysterious, and it's worthy of our exploration. So each week we're looking at a different aspect of what the gospel is, and this week we're looking at uh, the idea that the gospel is liberation, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is liberation. Now, to cover more ground, we're going to uh, break down our conversation in three different parts, how the liberation is the gospel, liberation is an invitation, and how liberation is a calling. So uh, this morning, this is going to be our structure, and so I hope that this will be meaningful for you. I, in particular, I really enjoyed researching and preparing this message. Now, when one thinks about the beginning story of our Bible, we most commonly will think about the story of Genesis. Why? Because it's the beginning of our Bible. What's interesting, though, is there are a lot of Jewish uh, scholars who, when they look at the Old Testament, they actually believe the beginning story of the people of God is actually the story of Exodus. That that is actually like a key concept of understanding the rest of Scripture. Genesis is more of a backstory of understanding our relationship with God, how we were created in God's image, how conflict and strife entered the, the picture but understanding the story of Exodus is key to understanding the rest of Scripture. In Exodus, we find a story about uh, a people, a Hebrew nation who were enslaved in Egypt and they were oppressed by Pharaoh who was using them and exploiting them to be able to build and acquire more and more and more. And for many scholars, they began to look at the story of Exodus more in concepts as well as history But what are the symbols of this story that we can apply to the rest of Scripture and the rest of our life? Well, Egypt is the place where people are held in bondage. It's the place where people are oppressed. It's the place where the vulnerable are easily exploited. And so when we think about the places in our own world, in our own lives of where oppression exists, where shackles exist, where captivity is present. And Pharaoh takes on this personification of a person of great power and dominance. And someone who, were, you know, Pharaoh was actually considered to be God and was uh, demanded worship. So if you think about that as the, the key, the, the, the understanding the rest of Scripture, it's really important because what we see about God is what we find throughout the rest of Scripture, is that though people in that day, that age, they would have believed that that God was attuned and impressed with Pharaoh, What we find in our scripture is that God saw the suffering of the oppressed, that God heard the cries of the enslaved people and was so moved in compassion. It's almost as God had numb ears, God had a a sense of uh, uh, disdain for Pharaoh and his power, but God drew close to those who were in bondage and he stepped into suffering so that they could experience deliberate, uh, uh, liberation and deliverance. Now, God saw their suffering, and what we see in that is that we see that God is a deliverer. And what we find is in this nature of who God is will now be a driving force in the rest of Scripture. For example, if someone were to ask you, how would you like to be introduced? How would you respond? I know for me, for the many times that people ask me that, which is not that often, but when people ask me, how would you like to be introduced? I would say, um, my name is Mark Charbonneau. I'm a husband to Jen, father to Dylan, Jack, and Allie. I'm a pastor in Austin, Texas, to a, a church called the Vine Covenant Church. That would be my title, because that's what I would want people to know about me before I acted or did or said anything. That, that, that kind of puts me in, in a framework. Do you know the title that God chose for himself? This is in Psalm 68. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, leads out the prisoners with singing. This is who God is. This is the title that God has chosen. So if you want to know who God is, understand that this is the framework for who God is. In the beginning of the Bible, we most commonly think about God as creator. You know, that is God's title. What is interesting is we find that title only six times in our Bible, only six times. And guess how many times we hear the title, the God who brought you out of Egypt, the God who liberated you. We find that 35 times. That's like six times the amount of times when we hear God described in that liberator that this is who God is. Throughout the Bible, from Exodus all the way through the New Testament, God reveals over and over again that God is about liberation and deliverance. God is a God of justice and of mercy. This is not only the case in the Old Testament, but this is a central concept of understanding who Jesus was. This was a defining aspect of Jesus's ministry. For instance, in the book of Luke, we find that Jesus's first recorded words, his first public sermon was in his hometown. He went up in that religious gathering and and he was given these scrolls and he opened up the Isaiah scroll and he read from this, this ancient prophecy that was talking about the awaiting of what God would do. And he This is what Jesus said. This is in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, Jesus is reading the book of Isaiah now. He's quoting it. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up, then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And Jesus began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That Jesus is saying what the prophet Isaiah was foretelling of what what would happen when the spirit of the Lord would be poured out, that this, mo- this moment of liberation, this ministry of deliverance would take place. Jesus is saying, it's here, it's come. Now is the time. Now, what might it mean that Jesus' first sermon, the inauguration of his public ministry was a de- declaration that he would continue a movement of liberation. And notice who this is for. It's for the poor, The imprisoned, the blind, and the oppressed. Now some of us might say, well, that doesn't sound fair, Jesus. Why don't you come for everyone? Why just the poor, the oppressed, the prisoner, and the blind? Well, you know, like what why so narrow a list? Don't all lives matter? And what Jesus would say is I have come to liberate because those people are experiencing oppression, they're experiencing suffering, that they need liberation, they are desperate for, so I'm coming after them. I am going to fulfill what Isaiah spoke, what God spoke through Isaiah, because those people are still longing to be set free. There are over 2,350 verses, 2,000 350 verses in the Bible that talk about God's love and longing for justice for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. 2,350 times. This should obliterate any idea or misconception that to seek justice, to be about love and mercy is a threat to the gospel. It's not some sort of weird agenda coming to combat the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the heart of God. That when, when people say that to work towards social justice from, uh, is, a, is a, a place that where banners come up and we should, be, we should be leery, we need to consider that throughout scripture, God is a God of great justice. It's not a threat. Do you want to know what a threat is? A threat to the gospel is Christians' indifference to the suffering of many people. That's more of a threat to the gospel than anything else, I believe, in this, in this moment, in this day and age. It's not that the fact that we care about mercy and justice, the greater threat is that we're indifferent to it. We're suspicious of it. Deliverance is what God was always about. It was the gospel. The gospel is God's desire and ability to liberate the oppressed and set the captive free. So if, if this is who God is, And we need to understand that there is an invitation that we receive from this gospel message, that liberation is an invitation for you and I. So what is our response as God's people in this moment? Well, before we take up the cause of the oppressed, the suffering, those who are in need, we must personally come to the God of deliverance in our own lives. We must know him for ourselves and experience the deliverance that God wants to have take place in our hearts, in our lives. Uh, When we realize that Jesus is our deliverer, then we can be set free to follow him and what Jesus is doing in this world. Psalm 9, 9 and 10 says, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name, trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Not Not only is God a shelter or a refuge in trouble, but he is your refuge. He's your shelter. He wants to defend and fight for you. He wants to set you free. He will not abandon, as we just see here in God's word, he will not abandon you when you search for him. I believe the only way for us to be sustained and our work of justice and mercy in this world is not to be fueled by guilt or duty, but it's from an overflow of what we have experienced firsthand from Jesus. What we've actually encountered, this, this deliverance that we know firsthand from Jesus will be the sustaining force for our work in this world. It's when, when we realize, realize that when Jesus said he came for the poor, the blind, and the oppressed, and enslaved, we must begin to wonder, how am I blind today? What are the shackles that I'm experiencing in my life, these, these loops that I keep going around, I can't see to be break, break free from? Like, where are those places in my life where there's the power of sin in my life, where I can't, where I'm spiritually poor and I cannot get out of it on my own? And what we do when we have that realization is then we cry out to God, remembering that God hears the cries of those who are pleading for freedom, for life, for reconciliation. So I want to pause just right here and just say, God wants to deliver you from whatever you feel like you're chained to right now. Whether that be fear or anxiety in this moment, God wants to unshackle you and set you free for the power of sin, the power of shame, the indifference you might have to other people's suffering, that God wants to liberate you. Jesus's first sermon was, was claiming that the spirit of the Lord was upon him to bring about this deliverance in this world. And his greatest sermon illustration was, was his body upon a cross. It's the sure sign that Jesus came and actually, he actually came and stepped into the midst of suffering, took it on himself. He identified with the oppressed, we, that we actually stepped into the, the longing that we have to be set free to show us that upon the cross, and especially in the empty tomb, there's no shackle more powerful than the liberating love of God. And once we've been set free by this great liberator, then we we get to follow him. And seeing that power poured out into the lives of this world, the lives of everyone we meet, that there is an invitation that we have with liberation. But there's also a calling. Once we've encountered the God of liberation— We've experienced it in our lives. We are now invited to partner with God to continue to share that this is good news for all. Now, this is not just a suggestion, but this is actually what we're here, here for. Before the time of Jesus, God spoke through a, a prophet by the name of Amos. He was, uh, he was speaking to the nation of Israel at a time where they were incredibly religious and devout. They fasted, they prayed, they had huge religious celebrations, but they had a problem the problem was within their community. The most vulnerable, the poor, were being exploited, and they were being caught into this moment where they they had to be they were in, in they had debt slavery. That because they were so poor, because they were exploited, they were brought into slavery to pay off debts that they never could pay off, and furthermore, they were denied representation for anyone to to defend them in court. So there was this great divide between. The nation of israel's worship and, and devotion to God, and the lack of compassion and the longing for justice for those who are the most vulnerable and so God saw this, and God declared through uh, through Amos he reminded the people, didn't I deliver you from slavery like do you, do you forget the fact that you were once delivered <laughs> like and and because of this disparity between their worship of a God of liberation. And their actual uh, either um, work of of injustice or their indifference to it, that this is what God said about their worship. This is in Amos 5. This is from the Message Translation. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me, do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. I mean, heavy words, for God. That God is actually saying their religious posturing means nothing to me because they're actually being rebellious. They have a sin issue and their sin is the indifference to the suffering of those people who bear my image, your brother and sister. And you could care less. And so therefore I care I could care less about your hollow religious expression when the vulnerable are left as vulnerable. And in place of your shallow religion, what does God want? Oceans of justice, rivers of fairness. So too often in in Christian circles, we offload this calling to work for mercy and justice to the Christians who are passionate about it. You know, like those people, like for our church, we have a team called the Compassion Team that they are thinking about this. Yet, being people of justice and seeking deliverance of others is actually the very true sign of our, us having a life with God. If we say that we are faithful to the way of God but show indifference to suffering of the poor, the vulnerable, we actually have a hollow religion. And this really indicting uh, de- declaration that God has for that community, it might be for us as well, because we might have a vibrant religious expression. But we will not have a vibrant relationship with the God of deliverance unless we step into this together. What we find in the Bible is a surprising barometer. The barometer of spiritual health that we find over and over in the Bible is how we treat the widow, the immigrant, the enslaved, the imprisoned, and the orphan. This is not only important to God, but it's also important to a watching world who is, they're looking at the church going, what do they really believe? What what do they really think? As our guest preacher a couple weeks back, uh, Rich Viotis, he said uh, recently, he said, uh, for, for far too many, justice is seen as an optional supplement to evangelism and mission. But we need to seriously consider justice as one of the means of evangelism. Many in this generation could care less about our good news if it is not good news leading to more to a more just world, the good news that Jesus is bringing about and wants to bring about through the church is that of God's liberation. Now, I know many of us would agree to that. Like, yes, I I'm for that. Like, I'm yeah, I'm, I got it. I'm, I'm I'm rallying behind that. And that's kind of a concern I have right now is this topic of of social justice of mercy is it's such a it's so in right now it's almost become a fad which is like it almost is this concern for me so let me explain um like I I love exercise I love it I mean I I love the I I love the idea of exercising I mean (laughs) I have I believe in it I believe I believe exercise is important I have the gear to prove it I have yoga mats I have weights I have dumbbells I have bands. I have DVDs. Remember P90X? I got all of those DVDs. I have a, uh, a, a, an account that I, I pay for it. every week. We get new videos. I, have an, I used to have an ab roller. Remember those? I had it in my, in my closet for years. I have acts that could track my exercising, my habits, my steps. I even at one point, I had a Gold's Gym, Gym membership for years. Like three years, I went three times and every time I saw that monthly, that monthly payment go, it was almost like penance of like, ah, I know, I really believe in exercise. Um, but do you know how many calories you burn loving the idea of exercise? <laughs> Zero. It doesn't work that way. Our ideals mean something, but if they're not actually backed up in actual practice, the Bible would say in the, in the book of James that that kind of faith life is dead. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything. It's not enough to be a fan of justice and mercy. Your hashtags are not sufficient in itself. As, as, as a fellow uh, covenant pastor and president of the uh, Bread for the World, Eugene Cho, he said recently, don't love justice, live justly, bring about mercy, seek the liberation of the oppressed. We are called to partner with the God of liberation to join in on His passion and work of this world. It's more than us believing in it; it's us stepping into it. But our calling is our calling is not just about doing. It's not just about picking up banners and running and charging the hill. It's also about honoring. See, this, there's like this little trap that we can fall into. We can hear a message like this and believe like, okay, all right, I'm gonna step into it. Now it's my job, I'm gonna save the world. But Jesus's kind of justice and love and mercy is also about seeing the God-given dignity to, that the oppressed already have, the dignity that's already there, that's being, that's being snuffed out. It's actually honoring them and lifting up that dignity that's already present. To partner with God means that we speak we pay special attention and give special attention to those in the margin, just like Jesus did. Why? Because it's from the people in the margin who oftentimes God speaks through them, that we learn about God through the people in the margin. Remember when Jesus said, I was hungry, I was naked, I was I, I was sick, and you visited me, you met with me, that we see this in God. Yet the interesting thing in my life is we actually have the tendency to do the opposite. We pay special attention to those in power, those who have accolades, those with position and influence. It's like the, the father of the black liberation theology, James Cone, he, he said once, if you were to go back 2,000 years ago and want to, get, want to get to know who Jesus is, who would you go to? And he made this comment that our, our inclination to go to, to go to those who are in power, those in dominance, is like going and finding out who Jesus is by only talking to the Romans, you know, the empire. When, in fact, if you really want to know who Jesus is, to whom should you go? The widow who gave her last mite. You should go to the man who was afflicted by demons and was liberated by Jesus. You should go to the the prostitute who was shown extravagant mercy and had this radical transformation in her heart and their life. You should go to the bottom not to the top, for those are the people who most often knew Jesus, didn't know about him, but knew him. So might God still be speaking to us from those who have been historically marginalized? More important, are we even listening? For over a year, I've been seeing uh, and seeking out black libera- uh, liberation theologians, pastors, historians, um, and authors who I just wanted to get to know what what is going on uh, from their experience and their perspective. And I have been struck by such a powerful witness that we have from the black church within the American tradition. And somewhere along the way, I was stopped by a question. My question was, how in the world did the black church retain a faith in Jesus Christ? How do they retain their faith? A population who was exposed to Christianity through slaveholders who were told that people were created in the image of God, but black people were three-fifths human. They were taught how the Bible condoned slavery. They were taught that God appointed the white community of slave owners for their own good. How in the world, through that bitter seed, has the black church been so faithful and given such a powerful witness to the world? Well, I think it's because the true gospel was hidden from the oppressor and revealed to the enslaved. They were the ones who saw the true Jesus, who experienced Jesus the liberator. Why didn't the white white slave owner not experience it? He didn't need liberation. The ones who came uh, the one who came to break the shackles of slavery and oppression, that was the, real, the realization for those who were oppressed, those who were longing and praying for liberation, the ones who uh, who were told that they were given the least, least dignity. Those are the ones on the bottom. And those are the ones that Jesus went after. God did not hear the cries of Pharaoh, but he was tuned to the cries of the enslaved. They saw the connection between the cross, Jesus' lynching tree, and the lynching tree in the South that crucified thousands and thousands of black bodies, they would hear Jesus' first sermon, The spirit of the Lord is on me to set the captive free to 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 be with the poor, to be with the blind to be with the oppressed, and they would think, man, I think if this if this word is true, then Jesus is coming after me, he's coming for me. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said, I will hide these things from the learned." and revealed them to the babes. Maybe because Jesus would say, I would hide these things from the Bible-quoting slave owner and reveal it to those living in oppression who are praying for a Savior. And when they encountered the radical love of Jesus, who not only promised them an eternity with God, where there will be no more crying, there will be no slavery, that, if, that but, but they also encountered this gospel that, promised justice and mercy here and now. And they saw the gospel. They saw the gospel. It was revealed to them. And it was hidden to many those who were blinded by pride and power and position. And maybe it remains hidden to many of us today. The gospel is God's power and desire to save and to liberate us all. To save and liberate us all but especially those who are crying out for salvation and mercy today. We cannot distort this message. As Beth Moore, Beth Moore of all people, she recently warned the church when the gospel has become bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted and imprisoned, and good news to the proud, self-righteous and privileged instead. It is no longer the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Deliverance is what the gospel is. We just gotta take it in. We gotta take it in in our own life. We have to receive this liberating love of God so that we can follow Jesus in the liberation of all.